alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. Welcome to the 42nd Annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody, and I'm joined by my pal, Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, I'm actually doing great. You know, uh, as we talked about before the show, my my heart was put on notice after watching the uh, the Vikings beat the Saints last week. That was, uh, I don't like that feeling. That, like, on-edge feeling, I shouldn't be that involved with football, you know, but uh, it's yeah. the only thing Vikings have to cheer for. Vikings fans have to cheer for, I should say. Yeah, that's uh, exactly how I feel pretty much every single week, like, watching Iowa. Unless they're playing, like, some slum, like, Maryland team or something like that, but that's exactly how I felt every single week. Ugh, I hate it. Because they, they always keep it close. Yeah, I know. Can I... Like, you see other teams, they're blowing each other out or whatever, and it's like, I, I, I feel like we don't get experience that very often. Maybe it's just an illusion because I have no, like, a horse in the game or whatever uh, of those games. So I don't really care what happens, but uh, I don't know. Holding on to your seat for dear life is just a weird feeling, and by the time people hear this episode, either the Vikings will beat San Francisco and will be really happy about it, or... They will lose and will once again be sad Minnesota Vikings fans. But I, you know what? I'm holding strong. My faith is up there. I'm hoping they win. Yeah. Well, I always tell, uh, I always talk about this. Imagine if you were like a Bama fan or a New England fan, like a Patriots fan, and your team just always won. Like always had like you know really good seasons. Always made it to the championship games. You would almost not even like have a reason to watch. <laughs> you know, so it's good. It's it's good to have a team that's like above average and like always in the fight, but you don't know if they could win or lose. Yeah. It's like watching a movie and like definitely not knowing the ending to it. So that's, that's always true. Good. The uh the the crazy thing is gonna be, you know, our our generation, like probably within the next I'd I'd say three to five years. You know, Breeze is going to be gone. Brady's going to be gone. Rogers is going to be gone. Like, I don't know. It's going to be a weird, surreal moment for those clubs, I think. Yep. There's definitely a uh, a fight coming up on top of the pecking order of, like, top three best quarterbacks. I've been listening to ESPN Radio uh, to and from work, and that's all they've been talking about is, like, the next generation coming up. Like, uh, Baltimore's quarterback. You've got – well, of course, I'm in Arizona, so they talk about uh, – um kyler kyler yeah i yeah. almost forgot his name <laughs> they uh i hear his fucking name every day but kyler murray they uh they talk a lot about him so they have high hopes but yeah there's a definitely a uh, a next generation coming up it's pretty what, exciting what i think's kind of ironic is uh say like i'd say the nfl's kind of shifting more to like the college type quarterback where you have to be able to run and whatever and yeah. Like at first, it didn't really catch on because those guys are getting slaughtered. But now it seems like those are going to be like the elite ones now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, well, there's definitely the problem is 
you draft that style of quarterback and then the team doesn't automatically like make itself like mold around that quarterback. So he gets slaughtered like that. What you really have to do is like build it from the ground up, like have that like kind of offensive line and those wide receivers ready for that air raid style quarterback who can also run the triple threat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point actually. But uh, anyway, uh, stepping off football here, Phil, what do you got for us in this week's hot sheets? Well, I was uh, I was picking through the uh, latest National Enquirer and uh, just kind of stumbled upon this great story. So Perv Epstein's spy work kept him safe from the law. Okay, all right. So here it goes. Twisted pervert Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> skirted the heavy hand of justice because he was a spy. For who? Well, it's coming up. This, okay. It's the big breakthrough. <laughs> and protected by the government figures desperate to keep the peace with foreign allies. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Yep. So that's the bombshell claim by Stephen Hoffenberg, who got 18 years in prison for a criminal enterprise. He says he masterminded with Epstein. So Epstein now, was his pawn. Yeah. So this all <laughs> happened uh, years ago. So while the now dead creep received a sweetheart deal. Now this was Epstein's 2006 arrest for sex crimes with underage girls in Florida resulted in a very lenient and unprecedented plea deal. So according to Hoffenberg, he also got away with financial crimes. Now Hoffenberg, the former chairman of debt collection agency Towers Financial Corporations, said he and Epstein ran a Ponzi scheme <laughs> that soaked investors for $475 million. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of money. Yeah, I hadn't even heard that Epstein was in a supposed Ponzi scheme, but that is quite a large uh, sum of money to be taken for not a lot of news to come out about it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be all over the news. Yeah, so he has accused the Department of Justice of giving a get-out-of-jail-free card to Epstein. Now, Epstein was found dead in his jail cell on August 10th at the age of 66. And because he was an asset of the Israeli intelligence agency Mossad and government kingpins didn't want to clash with Israel. Okay, so are they saying that he, they let him kill himself or he's still alive or what are they trying to insinuate here? So they're saying that when Epstein was arrested for the uh, $475 million Ponzi scheme, they didn't charge him with it. Uh, because he was supposedly a member of Mossad, which is Israeli intelligence. Ah, okay, okay. But then when they busted him the second time or whatever, he couldn't escape that one. Yeah. So according to Hoffenberg, there was an inside deal with the Justice Department because of the es espionage. Now, Hoffenberger uh, served 18 years and was released from prison in 2013. Hmm, okay. All right, interesting. So this uh, revelation that Epstein was a spy first came to light in the book Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. So and that's uh, from the National Enquirer, so <laughs> take it as you will, basically. So but, uh, did it say what year that book was released? It must be a new one, huh? Yeah, it must be a brand new one because uh, it looks like it just came out. They didn't give a year for it. Okay, all right. Well, that's a great story. I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure he's an Israeli 
spy. I don't know if I'm believing that just because I'm assuming he is a Jewish man. I don't think that makes him a spy instantly, you know, um, but I guess you can believe that guy if you want to. Yeah, that's what I first thought when I saw it was, oh, that's a little uh, coincidental of a connection to put him <laughs> into Mossad just because he's a Jewish guy. But that is two conspiracies that I've never heard connected with Epstein was a Ponzi scheme and being a member of Mossad. So that, that was pretty interesting. Well, OK, I'll give it the Ponzi scheme. I'll give that a lot more just for the fact that that dude was so fucking rich. Who knew? Who knows how he got that money? Oh, yeah, exactly. Like. The thoughts and, like, evidence and all of the internet, like, conspiracies about, like, who was giving him money and who he was giving free, free plane rides to, like, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, anyway, Phil, are you ready to jump into this week's episode? Yeah, I'm excited. Don't know <laughs> what it's about. Let's go. All right, so let me tell the little backstory of how I came into this. Um, I don't even know if it's really a conspiracy. I think it's a a conspiracy in my mind that I kind of wanted to find out the truth in. And it had happened, I think, maybe like two weeks ago. Um, on Tuesdays, I have to take out the trash and the recycling. So then it got to thinking, I'm like, is putting out this recycling actually doing anything? Like, you know, you've probably heard the conspiracy before that they basically just toss it in with regular garbage. Like, is it actually doing anything do you know what i mean yeah i have heard that before so i kind that of it's just a feel-good program yes exactly and that's why this isn't necessarily like our typical conspiracy but what i found in my research i thought was actually really interesting and it's actually something that is affecting um us literally this year which i had no idea about once we get to that point um you can put your two cent two cents in there but, uh, but yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I would say I'm someone who's worried about the environment, obviously. And it's, but this is my opinion. It's really annoying that, you know, taking care of the environment or whatever is no longer like a humanitarian effort. It is now ha always has to be a political agenda, which is really annoying, um, in my opinion, but, uh, we're not going to get political in this episode, so why don't we start off with here? I just I, I'm gonna go through kind of the history of recycling, which I thought was actually really fascinating. I can only imagine how many people know about all this. So um, we're gonna start off in 500 BC. Uh, Athens organized the first municipal dump program in the Western world. Local laws di dictated that waste must be disposed of at least one mile from the city walls. So. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing that they had problems with their garbage all the way like back then. I mean, that was probably right around the time when I'm trying to remember my like Greek history, but I know that 500 BC is right around when like civilization started to like come back. So, mm. but damn, can you imagine having to walk a whole mile to recycle or to throw your trash away? Yeah, but I mean, you got to think back then people walked a lot. Like there wasn't That's exactly true. like bikes or like <laughs> not everyone had wagons. Horses were very rare. So mm, there wasn't no mopeders around there. I can guarantee that. So yeah, there wasn't any of those fucking <laughs> little bastards on those uh, fucking scooter, Ranger scooters. <laughs> uh, in 1031, Japan began the first ever recorded reuse of waste paper. 
All of the documents and paper are recycled and repulped into new paper, then sold in local shops across the country. So that, uh, god damn, that was almost a thousand years ago and they were doing it. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, I know during the, I think it was during either the Reformation or like the early Renaissance, but a lot of those books that had been like handwritten, like the science books, they claim were actually like washed and had Bible pages like reprinted on them. So that was a little later than a thousand, but I have heard of like paper being reused, which is shitty because all of this great like scientific discovery from, you know, that time basically (laughs) was erased to put bullshit on paper. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Well, it was a very uh, Christian time to live, I guess is what you'd call it. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) All right, in 1690, the recycled paper manufacturing process is introduced. The Rittenhouse Mill near Philadelphia will make paper from fiber derived from recycling cotton and linen rags. So even before America was established, they were recycling, I guess. Um, Yeah. In 1776, as America declares its independence from the English... Rebels turned to recycling to provide material to fight the War of Independence. So, but I, I guess this kind of makes sense. When, you, when you're in war, desperate times, you're going to use whatever you can. We're low on ammo, men. Pick up that cannonball and send it back. <laughs> Take it out of Johnny's chest if you have to. <laughs> send Johnny with it. Fuck it. <laughs> he did this for his country. <laughs> uh, in eighteen, 18- He made two whole dollars that week. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, $2 for 1776, he'd probably be a millionaire by that point, right? Yeah, that's pretty decent. <laughs> in 1865, the F- Salvation Army is founded in London, England, and begins collecting, sorting, and recycling unwanted goods. The household salvage brigades employed the unskilled poor to rediscover discarded or recover discarded materials. The organization and its programs migrated to the United States in the 1890s. Um, I learned a lesson. I feel like we were, we talked about the Salvation Army at blah, 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 a long time ago. And I'm pretty sure it is a um, extremely Christian organization that has its, basically its roots were uh, from some Christian organization or something like that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really know much about it, but I would imagine they're, uh, they're symbols across. So. Yeah, I, I feel like they've kind of shedded that part of it, you know, in modern days. But um, that was its roots, which I guess shouldn't be that surprising because if you think about how many colleges and all that, that's basically was where they started was a, uh, a religious group or whatever. Yeah. In 1897, New York City created a materials recover facility where trash is sorted at picking yards and separated into various grades of paper, metals, and carpet. Burlap bags, twines, rubber, and even horsehair are also sorted for recycling and reuse. In 1904, the first American aluminum can plants opened in Chicago and Cleveland, which obviously aluminum's a big, big one nowadays. Yeah, um, I know it was really hard to make aluminum. Uh, you re- like before then, you needed a lot of power to actually turn. I think it's bauxite into aluminum. So, mm. I I mean that makes sense, especially for fucking nineteen oh four. Yeah, everything before then, like all the cans, <laughs> were made out of tin. 
So Ooh. problem is tin like rusted and you know. Yeah. Can you imagine that. getting a Pepsi and it's a it starts rusting because it's made out of tin? Yeah, and it doesn't have that protective liner on the inside. <laughs> I think most of them were probably made out of uh, like the glass bottles, or you went to like the soda pop fountains. Ah, uh, yeah. From back then, but very true. That's a valid point. Uh, starting in 1916, due to the massive shortages of raw materials during World War One, the federal government created the Waste Reclamation Service with the motto, Don't Waste Waste, Save It. Uh, kind of a catchy hmm. phrase there, I guess. Yeah, well, desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jerry's. <laughs> uh, in 1940, goods such as nylon, rubber, and many metals are rationed and recycled to help the uh, support the war effort once again so obviously as we can see the war really makes people start to um what, what would the word be here um kind of use everything at their disposal i guess you know not waste yeah. a whole bunch of shit definitely back then um like the war effort really took a lot of sacrifice not just from the people going over there and you know jumping off the boats but it was everyone back home like you hear about like weather shortages butter like yeah. any like any basic material that we have like that we take for granted right now was considered like strategic so meat butter people like weren't able to make shoes out of leather mm. like they had to like make do with shoes like try to like remake them <laughs> so do you remember your grandparents saying basically like uh they had to wear bread bags for shoes no i don't <laughs> remember them ever saying that uh, uh i know that my grandma's on my mom's side family had a really hard time during the depression mm, yeah i mean i i assume most people did around that time you know yeah she is uh she's always been a really good saver like <laughs> really really thrifty so that's a pretty telltale sign yeah though. i was gonna say well the great depression we usually do that to you yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh in 1964 the all aluminum can is introduced and with that the value of used aluminum cans as a raw material uh, was created and and the aluminum industry will soon begin cre creating a massive system for recycling and redeeming used beverage containers, which um, does Arizona still offer money for cans? I don't know. I don't actually collect cans. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I never see any like recycling centers that take it. We don't even have like recycling pickup here in the city so really yeah no, for like anything happen. no really wow okay well no everyone just has one wheelie bin outside their house and it's just you know trash hmm okay well i can tell you uh in minnesota like every single person i see has a goddamn recycling thing outside their house so i guess it's just differences in states yeah, Arizona is a very conservative state, so mm. they uh, pride themselves on not giving a fuck. So, <laughs> that so, happens. So in 1965, the I think it's Mobus Loop is introduced as a sim symbol for reduce, recycle, and reuse, or reduce, reuse, recycle, however you want to say it. Um, and you obviously know what this is, right? The th it's the, the three triangle arrows. with the arrows. Yeah, so apparently that was started in... Uh, uh, 1965, which is, I didn't think it was that old. No, me neither. I thought that it was something like that came out during the 90s. Because I only started seeing it when I was a kid. Like, 
probably well, when I was eight or nine. That's when like the program got really big, though. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I can still remember um, in Catholic school, like I, I for some reason that sticks out in my mind, like in science class, they had how important it was to reduce, reuse or recycle. I, I don't know why I remember that, but um, I remember um, they used to have us put our. This was like a big thing that they started doing. They had us put our like organic waste in one trash can and then our like our like cardboard and non like napkins and shit in another one. And then they claimed that they were taking like the food waste to pig farms and mm. feeding it to pigs. Yeah, I that wouldn't be unheard of because uh, one of the restaurants I work for up here, they had a giant like 50 gallon fucking trash can. Um, that they'd fill to the brim with basically waste or whatever, food waste, and they would uh, give it to pig farmers. So <laughs> I was going to say dump it right in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could do that too. I mean, it's biodegradable, so I mean, technically you could. Uh, it was just a feel-good program. <laughs> <laughs> now, in 1974, University City, uh, Missouri became the first county to offer curbside recycling to its residents, which obviously is what we all know now, right? Or, well, I guess people in Arizona <laughs> don't know, but people in Minnesota are familiar with the curbside recycling. <laughs> people uh, people in the give-a-fuck world know yeah. exactly what's going on in that situation. <laughs> now, in uh, 1988, the number of curb curbside recycling programs in the U.S. increased to about... 1,050, right? In mm -hmm. 1992, the total number of curbside programs in the uh, the U.S. grew to a total of 5,404. Uh, that's a lot over only four years, right? Yeah. that's uh, What year did you say that was? 1994? 1992. 1992. So that would have been when we were about 7, 8. So that's exactly the time that we were talking about. Yeah. Was when it started getting big. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So... Um, as you can see, it grew quite a bit, and to date, uh, they estimate there's about 10,000 recycling centers uh, nationwide, which uh, I think is fantastic, personally. Um, we should probably attempt to be more, I don't know, environmentally conscious or try to waste so many of our resources, I guess. Is that the right answer? I don't know. Or the right wording? Yeah, it just depends on, like, what happens after they get to the recycling center. Because, yeah. I mean, are we just given that to, like, apparently, like... I don't spoil it really, now. I'm or... not I'm not going to spoil <laughs> it, but what I'm, what I'm going to say is, apparently we don't do a very good job of turning, like, bottles into other things, or even, like, bottles again. So, yeah. it's really hard to, like put the oil down to its like base form and then like remake it into something. That's a very valid point. Um, now the last little piece of data here I want to say is uh, in 2012, more than 585 million pounds of consumer electronics are recycled uh, an increase in 125 million pounds uh, from the year prior. Now, we're going to talk about uh, uh, electronic recycling later in the episode, which I think might be probably the biggest concern out of anything, maybe outside of plastics. Um, what do you think? Well, I know that um, like our modern cell phones are made out of like heavy metals that are 
they're like called like the rare earth metals or whatever. But yeah. I know that it's, it's very hard to recycle like the metal inside of those, like especially the batteries are really hard to recycle oh, yeah. and reuse. So oh, I know yeah. that's a huge problem because all of that metal is basically getting into like the landfills. Yeah. And it's just building up. <sighs> I'm going to we're going to be talking about um, the that particular side of recycling later on. Um, let me basically jump back to uh, curbside pickup here. Now, do you remember initially, or maybe you still see it in stores or wherever, where they want you to kind of divide up um, plastics, glass, paper, all that, you know? Yeah, they want you to do the job for their people who work at their site. <laughs> right. Now, it's changed over recent times where basically, and this is even how our recycling is here, now you can kind of just throw it in all in one bin and then the companies themselves um, will sort it out in their facilities. I'm not sure why they decided to um, do that, but they change it that way, I guess. I mean, it kind of makes sense if you're hiring people at a recycling plant, I'd assume they can sort through it or whatever. Yeah, I remember, uh, so I used to work in 2005, 2006, I worked at a factory in Emmitsburg, Iowa, and I worked in the shipping department. Part of my duties was to take the recycling from the plant and drive it over to the recycling center. And they basically had like huge tables where they would dump the recycled material onto the tables, and then they would have sorters putting it into different little bins. Yeah. So... Yeah, so that must have evolved kind of recently, I'm assuming. Now, the thing is, is basically um, kind of what happens after, uh, you know, they sort of in all of that. Well, basically what I've come to find out is essentially um, they sell them to other countries, more or less. And <laughs> the main country is China, obviously, China. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was gonna I I was gonna say that before, but I didn't want to blow the lead on you. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm 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 assuming maybe that's kind of um, obvious or whatever. Yeah. But uh, but now the law that I was talking about is what China had done just in 2018. Because I don't know if you've heard, they have placed a ban on essentially buying. What they called is uh, foreign garbage, essentially. Now, have have you heard about this? Yeah, I have. Uh, from what I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, that it came after the um, – basically the United States was like renegotiating the trade deals with China and China tried to strong arm America by putting an embargo on our recycling, hoping to like bury us in our own shit basically. Mm, I mean, that was kind of the thought that came to my mind, but the interesting point of it is that um, it wasn't just the U.S., it's also the European countries that they are now refusing to buy uh, essentially garbage from. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they assume if they're fighting with the U.S. that they just throw the European nations in with it as well. I I don't really know. I, for I completely forgot to put down what the name of the uh, uh, their fucking policy it was something like sword thrust or something like that. Like they literally <laughs> called it something like 
like sh- uh, sword and shield or like something like that. I I don't know. It's... Do they have Carl Rove running their fucking marketing department? Like, <laughs> I nah, don't that know. They might. Any, that bill doesn't have any pet behind it. We're going to call that sword thrust. <laughs> if that doesn't work, we're going to haul it raging hard on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, actually. But yeah. um, now China is claiming that they did this. The reason is probably what you mentioned, but what they're claiming is they want to clean up their own country, essentially. So um, now... The problem this is causing is, say, a lot of people don't know that this happened, and we are still recycling, right? And we believe we're recycling. We believe that our products are being recycled. But if China is not accepting it, then what is happening to our recyclables? And more or less, what I was reading is um, companies will either – they weren't recycling in the first place, okay – or number two, mm-hmm. if they were were recycling and now they cannot sell it, now they're literally just throwing it into a goddamn uh, landfill anyway, just to appease the uh, you know the public or their their clientele. And states where it's illegal to throw your recycling into a landfill, but they can't sell it, now they are giving them like temporary permits or whatever to just burn it or thrown in a landfill until they can figure out basically what to do with it more or less so that's kind of the situation that we're in right now although is there is a lot of american companies that are trying to essentially um start up their own recycling plants i guess not like sorting plants but like literally paper plastic glass all that aluminum recycling plants like china was had so yeah, I can see how big of a problem it is when a company basically has a, a product that goes from bringing in income to becoming an expense. Like you have to put yeah. it on the other side of the books now. All of a sudden, your bottom line just took a major hit and it's like, Jesus Christ, just fucking dump it like anywhere, anywhere you can just dump it. So <laughs> it's yeah, if you once we get down to like the very end of this, you're going to see that recycling isn't about caring at all about what's happening to the products it merely comes down to what how much money can we make off of this that's all it boils down to yeah i always thought recycling was kind of like the feel-good thing anyway yeah feeling like you're doing something good for the environment like if you really want to do something good for the environment all you have to do like buy a water bottle that you actually use like never buy bottles again for like water you do so much just by doing that yeah. Like if, if if everyone did that and they stopped like selling plastic, those little personal plastic water bottles, that would be huge to take away all of that crap. But, you know, what do they call that single use water or single use plastics? That's what I think is probably one of the biggest uh, uh, worries we should have about, uh, you know, waste, I guess. Because what is there, that giant plastic island floating around in the ocean? Oh, the well, it's more than an island. It's a fucking continent now in the Pacific <laughs> Ocean. Fucking most of that comes from like the runoff. A lot of it, like I suppose a lot of it just from India and China, though. Like, ah. And like Southeast Asia um, yeah. flowing out of their rivers and shit. But there is uh, there was a huge problem after the earthquake and tsunami that hit Japan that hit that radioactive 
yeah. uh, plant, that tsunami basically like rushed in and then pulled out all of like that. So basically the tsunami flood water just rushed in all of this water and then pulled out all of the like destructed building material and the garbage and all of the sewage back into the ocean. And since it had the uh, radioactive component from the nuclear power plant, a lot of that shit is radioactive. So the ocean has been getting a high dose of radiation. So Oof. maybe don't eat that fish fillet. <laughs> this lead. Uh, yeah, uh, that's terrifying. <laughs> radioactive <laughs> trash in the ocean. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, they have. Uh, I've seen these maps like they take them from the satellites and you can see the like affected water. And it's just in this big swirl that goes around uh, coming out of Japan and back around all the way around like the South American coast, North American coast. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's basically it's getting caught in like a tide or something right there, or like the current of the ocean or something. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, the ocean current. And it's mm. going like down and then back up and around. So yeah. filtering to the middle. <sighs> That's not great. Well, anyway, Phil, should we – I want to talk about um, basically where our plastics go in China. Now, this might be one of the things that I found the most fascinating because um, plastics, I think, like we said, are probably the one thing that uh, a lot of people worry about the most. Now, mm -hmm. the main hub in China where pretty much all the plastics go is called um, – Wenan County, I think it, that's what it is. Wenan, I think it's Wenan County. County, anyway. Basically, what I was reading, it's this huge kind of a blog post about a guy who is visiting this area to kind of see what it's like and everything. Now, apparently, this entire land used to be an agricultural area, like it was just farmlands and everything, and now it's literally nothing but plastic plastic recycling little factories or whatever you want to call them. Um, essentially, this guy said you'd be walking down the street or driving or whatever, and you would just see plastic bags flying around everywhere, trash flying around everywhere. Uh, most of the time, you'd see trucks coming in just filled to the brim with plastics, uh, just junk fucking everywhere, essentially, because this is where our plastic junk goes to is this area in China. So just make China great again. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, this guy, I mean, I'm sure he's being a little overly dramatic for a blog post, but it sounded like a goddamn nuclear fallout area, which is plastic trash everywhere, which is kind of terrifying. It did kind of sound like the game fallout, like how yeah. you just kind of walk around and there's just garbage <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it's very, I, I, I'm guessing it doesn't look that much different. Um, now, according to some of the citizens here, you can start your own recycling company here for about $300. Nice. So if you want to move there, get into the recycling game, it's going to cost you $300. Um, it, it's nice to hear that China's getting into that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> we're going to take American garbage and turn it into gold. Now, I think the most terrifying thing about this entire story is that this gentleman goes into these tiny little buildings or whatever where they're recycling plastic and they're using really bad chemicals 
and not a single person has any sort of safety or like hazard protection items. Apparently he walked to like the supply store and they don't even sell safety or hazard protection <laughs> items at all. So yeah, that's we know the effects of that. That's not great at all. The, the funny thing is they probably make all of the PPE that we're forced to wear in America just down the street. <laughs> but they're not <laughs> allowed the fucking, to use it. <laughs> all of the fucking safety glasses, the earplug, the, the fucking the breather masks, all of that's probably made in China, but they just don't use it. Ugh. And I was going to say, too, you can only get a situation like where you have a giant industrial area full of recycling centers like that if you have zero regulations. And yeah. then that. What you just said kind of lends to that, too. So are you saying OSHA paying them a visit wouldn't help much? Oh, God. If <laughs> if they ever got, like, a American form of OSHA in those places, they would have to turn them back into fucking, I don't even know, like, fields or whatever. It just, I think where that struck the most with me was basically that we're recycling for a purpose that we believe it's helping and while, yes, technically they are recycling the plastic there, the people who have to recycle this stuff are being exposed to all of this shit. You know, it's just like, it's not not good. Yeah, well, the whole point of like a, like reduce litter, like recycle, you know, putting recycling cans everywhere, is basically to keep like our cities looking good, our roads looking good. We don't care about what happens to the garbage once it gets picked up. You know, True. it doesn't really matter. Like if somebody throws garbage on the ground, you're considered an asshole. If you yeah. put it in the garbage can, oh, that's a nice person. But where the fuck does that go after you put it in the garbage can? It's still there. It's not <laughs> like it disappeared in the garbage can. I know. And that's like I said, and when we started this, that's kind of what this got. Uh, this whole thing kind of came in my mind. I'm like, I really want to know what is going on exactly with the recycling world. And quite frankly, I'm. Not entirely shocked, but it's a little, uh, it's a little worse. It's, I wouldn't say it's worse than I had anticipated, but there's a lot of things that I didn't foresee happening. Um, yeah. Mostly the Chan yeah. China ban. Oh, well, I was going to say, we're definitely like privileged, like living in the U.S. where no matter where you live, you can take your garbage somewhere. You can take your, you know, you can get rid of your waste. Like in those third world countries where you see like just piles of garbage, like lining the streets or, you know, just in people's homes, they really don't have anywhere to like take it or their country is taking other people's garbage and it's just winding up like, you know, being dumped in their landfills, which are overflowing. Yeah. And then blowing around everywhere. Ugh, it's not great. But no. anyway, I want to um, basically read this quote from uh, the website I got. Uh, or actually the blog was from was scientificamerican.com. Um, I just wanted to read this one little, little item here. Um, I want you to keep in mind these factories essentially chop plastics up, uh, smash and chop plastic up into tiny little pieces. Okay. And then mm -hmm. we're kind of seeing, he's talking about the process after that. We walked into a brighter room, roughly 40 feet long and perhaps half as wide it smells of something modern and chemical. In the middle is a long device that runs perhaps half the room's length. At one end, a worker who pours boxes of shredded plastic flakes into a table-sized funnel where they're slowly melted. 
I can see the heat and the melted plastic fumes rising into his face. Meanwhile, the plastic drips into a 10-foot-long pipe, eventually emerging as 15 pencil-thin gray noodles. The principle isn't much different from the one used in a pasta maker. The only difference is that the plastic noodles are cut into quarter-inch pellets and packed into bags for sale to manufacturers. So, I mean, technically they are recycling, right? Yeah. Someone will buy the little pellets, they'll melt them down, create whatever shit they wanted to create out of them. So, I mean, technically, the plastic recycling is working, but if you notice the point in there, the plastic fumes and everything shooting in this man's face as he's doing it, it's not great. Yeah, I'm guessing that there's a high turnaround for that job, just <laughs> because the dude can't come in anymore due to the fucking illnesses that he's going to get from all of those. Every type of cancer known to man, he has it. (laughs) He just has like all around cancer, not even like a specific body part. Just he has cancer. What kind of cancer? All of it. (laughs) All of it. You see a list, just check every box. He's got it. The dude's 19 years old. He looks 87. Well, I, from the sounds of it, like uh, a lot of these people are entrepreneurs or whatever they started their own recycling business so it's not like they can stop doing it you know what i mean yeah and i mean it's how you feed your family yeah and now i'm kind of wondering if china is you know they have this ban like how does it affect those people economically are they strictly doing china's trash now or like what are they doing that's what i'm wondering you gotta think that china has enough people and it's modernized enough to where they're Basically, they don't need all of America's trash. Like, True. they can do it themselves, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I would assume so. All right. Um, no, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, they have, like, Coca-Cola over there. They have McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, they, got they, can, pol- they, they got can consume it. just as hard as we can. So <laughs> I was going to say, they got plenty of trash building up. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Not, not like Pittsburgh, but, you know, garbage <laughs> trash. <laughs> I'm guessing Pittsburgh's the one city in America that didn't uh, send over their trash to China. Yeah, there's a there's a pro littering fucking bill that went through. <laughs> Everyone just throws their fucking McDonald's shit on the ground. <laughs> you get arrested if you try to recycle it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, now um, I want to read a little bit about uh, glass recycling. Now it seems like from my reading, glass recycling is the only one of the major recyclables that is 100% recyclable. Um, So basically you can uh, smash it down, chop it into tiny little bits, collect it, and then melt it all and create whatever glass you want. The only problem is, is that you cannot mix the colored glasses together. Because apparently one colored glass... With whatever other color, clear glass or whatever, it will ruin the entire batch because of the chemicals that are inside of it, I believe. So, okay. um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Let me let me go through the four different colors of glass here. Um, blue glass is made from naturally occurring iron impurities from the sand. The blue glass is used for food and beverage containers and even home design items like tiles, flooring, and stained glass. You get the you get the idea. Um, yep. Brown glass results from materials like carbon, nickel, and sulfur being added to the molten glass. A brown hue can be used to protect the container's contents from direct 
exposure uh, to sunlight and in turn helps preserve the flavor and freshness. Uh, brown glass is mainly used in food and drink preservation. Obviously, beer bottles mainly yep. in brown. Um, I don't know if would they put wine bottles in that category. Probably, right? Wine bottles are usually green in color. Well, aren't they? I don't drink a ton of wine, so I th- I th- I think they can actually. You know what? I almost think wine color of the bottle tries to match the color of the liquid inside the uh whatever color the wine is. I think now that I think about it, I think it does. Mm. So, um, anyway, uh, clear glass is made from basic glass elements like sand and limestone and is used for a variety of products like food and beverage containers, electronics, home design items, and much more. So I'm assuming that is the most common and uh, probably the most basic one to make. I would Yeah, assume. probably the cheapest too because yeah. you see most bottles are just kind of like the clear, pl- clear uh, bottles. So. Yeah. Now the colorless ones. Now green glass is very very similar to brown glass because it is created by adding ingredients to the molten glass, particularly copper, copper, iron, and chromium. Glass products protect con- contents from sun exposure and extreme temperatures. Therefore, it is mostly used for food and drink safeguarding. Now, I was reading something that I think it was England or maybe it was another European country that they can recycle blue, brown, and clear. But for some reason, green glass, nobody wants it after it's been recycled, so they have, like, a really hard time getting rid of it. I don't know if that's entirely true, but um, that's what it seemed like. Hmm. So I've never I've never heard um, that before, because I, I don't really know much about, like, the glass recycling. Yeah, so. but I, I don't know if that if that's because maybe... Not a whole lot of places use green glass outside of like uh, that really expensive water. <laughs> what is that? Barrier. Barrier. Yeah. Barrier. Well, I know I've seen wine bottles in the store that were green, and usually it's like the fancier. So, mm. like the fancy shit, it comes in like a green bottle. Maybe so. that's why. Yeah, fancy shit like Heineken and Rolling Rock. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jägermeister, I think, yeah. is a green bottle there too, but that's go. not very fancy. <laughs> I think that's a brown one, isn't it? Is Jägermeister in a brown bottle? Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's I been a long. It's been a long since time since I've been twenty-two. <laughs> so I, I know, know, and it it doesn't taste great at all. No, <laughs> it's I don't know disgusting. What we no, but but basically, glass. While you know, it's probably um, one of the more dangerous ones because you know you. Smash a glass bottle, someone steps on it, yada, 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 that thing. But, uh, but yeah, it seems like glass is 100% recyclable. And uh, I can only imagine there has to be windows in people's homes that are made from uh, glass, recycled glass. I'd almost assume there has to be. Even though I think most windows now are like a hybrid glass plastic or whatever. But uh, I don't know. That's a... Uh, yeah. Or the double pane where they have like the plastic in the middle of the two pieces of glass mm. so it doesn't shatter through. That's how like windshields are, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Winds- I think the the reason windshields are shatterproof is because of it's two panes. And then I almost think it's like uh, some window or house windows have like that gas in, in the middle of them. Oh, yeah. Or some sort of something. I think that's in 
uh, car windshields too because it will help absorb the impact and it won't allow it to crack or something like that. Yeah, I know. I think it was maybe before they used to use a resin. Maybe that's what it is then. I don't know. But yeah, the, having having the two panes and then gas in the middle of them, I know is for installation mm, uh, for yeah. your home. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Huh. You know what's funny? I actually, I literally know how to fix glass chips at work and I've drilled into windshields hundreds of times and I'm like, I know there's two panes of glass in there, but I don't really know what's in the middle of it. Something's in the middle of it that it leaves enough gap, probably like a sixteenth of an inch gap in there, so then you can fill it with liquid or whatnot. But uh, I don't really know what's actually in there. I know that when I fixed windshields when I was in the Air Force for vehicle maintenance, we used like a little resin gun, and you would like you would you would vacuum out all of the debris out of the crack and then force in resin. Yeah, and then put something on top of it so that it um, flattened out. Yep. So. Yep. That's exactly what we do too. You're ba- yeah. You basically just force the resin in there. Then you mm-hmm. put something over top so it gets hard, more or less. Or if you're like me, you just let it spiderweb and then just keep driving it for two years. <laughs> <laughs> just let her go. I know. Here's the fucking thing. I know the minute that I replace that windshield, another rock is gonna hit it. Oh yeah. So. Oh yeah. That's just how fate works. Yeah. Immediately, just fucking spitting in my face. It's the goddamn roads out here. Now, all right, let's move on to probably my biggest concern was electronics recycling. Now, I work for Best Buy, and it was right during the time period where Best Buy was accepting electronics uh, to be recycled, and they'd give you like a gift card or something for recycling it, you know, basically just to lure you into buying more shit. Um, They didn't actually care about the recyclings, but... The thing, I always heard a rumor, I was like, where do these giant boxes of TVs and all sorts of shit go? And I always heard a rumor that they were literally being sold to China and then they were just dumped in a landfill and we pretended like they were being recycled, right? That is what I had always heard. Um, But it seems like electronics recycling is probably one of the most valuable recycling um of all of them which kind of makes sense like you mentioned earlier in the episode they have uh special metals in them and things like that now when i was watching the process of how they recycle most electronics it was very i thought it was fascinating because essentially they smash them cut them up in little pieces right goes through a conveyor belt and they'll almost have like different magnets or different things that will pull out the different metals once they're in tiny pieces so say aluminum will get go up uh get sucked off this way something will get sucked off this way the plastic will go this way so as they're sorting it it kind of like the machine sort it for them once it's already in pieces and then those little pellets are obviously sold off to companies or whatever so it's not as dire as i thought it was right well the the thing is i mean our electronics are made out of like a ton of different like plastics, metals, you know, um, all of this shit. Like, it's great that like the metals are going to somewhere, but what happens to all the junk that they don't need? You know? Yeah, I think that's, that's the that's the part of it that I'm I'm assuming just gets thrown in the landfill. But if you, it's not the goal of a hundred percent. But if you can, if you're recycling electronic and you 
save maybe 70% of it or 60 or 70 or 80% of it. That's a lot better than just throwing a whole fucking computer monitor in a trash can, right? Yeah. Well, it would be nice if the uh, the companies that made that shit didn't make it so that it was purposely set up to break in 18 months or be outdated. And that would be nice. That would you could actually use them for a few years. That is uh, that would be nice. Now, did you know that uh, some states actually impose laws requiring the cell phone companies to be responsible for the recycling of their cell phones? No, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. So, um, I don't know when the last time you've been to like I don't I don't even know who you go through Verizon, T-Mobile, whatever. If you go into yeah. their stores and T-Mobile. Arizona has forced them to do that, there should be a little cell phone recycling bin um, inside their store. I think I saw those in maybe be it was England um, when I got a brand new cell phone. Um, the place that I went to had a little box that you could throw your old one into. Yeah. So So, I think I've seen it there. Now, surprisingly, um, like you mentioned, cell phones are hard to recycle, but um, they can be, it can be very profitable uh, for the companies, mainly because they can take old cell phones, uh, presumably chop them up like um, other electronics and then they can build their newer models of cell phones out of the recycled cell phones. So that cell yeah. phone that costs you $500, there is a chance that that cell phone that you are now paying $1,200 for is made from the same material as the old fucking cell phones. So <laughs> it's a very real possibility. I was like, they mentioned yeah. that they do that. So it's kind of funny to think about <laughs> yeah, basically, right? Yeah. Now I just imagine like one of those 1999, 2002 fucking Nokia bricks turning into a razor, then turning into a fucking iPod. You know? Yeah. Just <laughs> we're just using the same metals from all of the old Nokia bricks. <laughs> I should have looked up the uh, how they recycled the lithium batteries. Um, I didn't really look that deep into it, mainly because I, if I'm being honest, like. Um, I took down a shit ton of notes and I didn't know how long this was going to take to kind of chop through all of this stuff. So I didn't go super deep. I just kind of did a broad stroke of probably the three main, main ones, uh, paper, obviously paper, and, uh, paper and cardboard. I believe, obviously if they were recycling paper back in 1031, I'm pretty sure we can recycle that now. Yeah. Well, I was going to say quick with the whole, reduce reuse recycle gimmick thing you would think that like recycling is obviously important but really a more important like part of that would be to reduce you would think we would maybe go back to using glass bottles rather than like how much emphasis has been put on plastic in the past like 20 30 years because i remember when i was a kid like every soda i had came out of a like a glass bottle now it's all plastic. I barely even use like aluminum cans anymore. It's well, all just plastic. I think. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious because plastic's a lot cheaper than glasses. Yeah, but I mean, if there was an actual emphasis on it from like the you know the government, they might put like an incentive program behind it. But mm. well, that's where the lobbyists come in, Phil. <laughs> oh, that that's, <laughs> that's true. That's not gonna happen. 
That's I, I am stepping on the oil industry into yeah. their little territory. Be careful. You don't want to you don't want to walk in there. You got the CIA after you. Now you're going to have the damn oil companies after you. I'm more afraid of the oil companies <laughs> and big pharma. Honestly, like the CIA might, you know, give me a little threat, but big pharma, they'll just fucking take you out. Oh, yeah. They'll uh, they'll dispose of you and nobody will even know you existed. Um, yeah. the, the last real quick thing about cell phones that I put in here, I think was kind of neat. Um, if you were to recycle like a large amount of cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. It can yield as much as six tenths of a pound of gold and about three tenths of a pound of platinum and palladium. And uh, from that, you could get about 300 pounds of copper. Um, and obviously the plastic and glass can be recycled as well. Six tenths of a pound of gold. That's a lot. That's a, a lot of money, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, look at how much gold is an ounce right now. Yeah. It's in the thousands. <laughs> so that's gets quite a that's quite a few ounces. I mean, a pound is 16. So, yeah, I I, I think in each cell phone, obviously, there's probably like the tiniest bit of gold in there, probably for like a, a connected connectivity or some shit like that. Um, mm-hmm. Platinum and palladium, I imagine, are fairly uh, valuable metals. Oh, yeah. That's what uh, catalytic converters are made out of is palladium. And mm. like you like when you take a car in to get it chopped up, like recycled, the like biggest thing is the catalytic converter. Like they want that on the vehicle still because the iron obviously is worth a lot of money for what's in the vehicle. No, there's not a lot of like iron in the vehicles these days. It's mostly made out of plastic and aluminum. But that catalytic converter is very valuable. Well, I, I remember when I uh, used to kind of help on my dad at his shop, his mechanic shop. Um, this was 2003, maybe, or four. Uh, yeah. The catalytic converters were worth about $60 a piece back then. Um, but I remember he always said you had to like gather a whole bunch and go to Chicago to actually get paid for them so you had to like transport them a, a pretty far distance but uh but yeah if you're willing to do it they could be profitable i remember watching a car get crushed at qualms which was on highway 9 outside of cresco it was funny because all that they would do it was of course not like a big business it's just a bunch of you know rednecks in there they would like smash all the windows out and just kind of gather up all of the like important stuff and i would actually i saw them like underneath it like grabbing it out of the exhaust and then once they did that they just crushed it into a fucking pancake and (laughs) put it on top you know yeah but i know like my dad told me like that they're actually grabbing the catalytic converter right now like when they were up underneath it when they had it on uh the um forklift lifted it up they would get it out from underneath and then they would put it straight onto the fucking crusher yeah, so. I remember, um, did you ever go to, I think it was Leroy, and they had like the uh, the iron, I, I don't know if it's an iron recycling plant or is a metal recycling junkyard or whatever. Do you ever remember yep. going there? Yeah, I, I remember watching them just smash a car into a million pieces. It was uh, quite a sight. Yeah, that's where we would take all of our scrap iron, uh, like from... My dad was kind of a big hoarder, and anytime he had like too much shit, he would take a load of iron out to Leroy. Mm, so, yeah, just kind of neat. Um, anyway, Phil. So, I guess since we don't really have a conspiracy here, do you, after reading all of this, do you think 
the United States and other countries could be facing trouble by the China ban. Basically, they've built up this huge network of attempting to recycle things. And now that China's banned it, they're kind of left with uh, running around with chickens with their heads cut off, not really sure what to do. So um, do you think we should keep recycling or do you think it's just a gimmick? What do you think? Um, I definitely think that we should keep reducing and reusing. Uh, recycling for like plastics and stuff like that, I just think it gets thrown away. But definitely like if like the glass, that's a great thing if it's 100% recyclable. The electronics, if they can make a profit out of it and figure out what to do with like all the junk that comes from recycling too, that'd be great. Yeah. But if they're just going to throw it in a fucking landfill anyway, <laughs> I mean, why are why are why is the government spending all this money on recycling programs if they're actually just sending the shit to China? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I, their job essentially, from what I gathered, the recycling places in America. I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty of companies that actually like straight up recycle it, kind of like they were doing in China. But um, say, like your local trash company who's collecting it and sorting it. I assume they just sort it and then just kind of hand it off to somebody else. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I assume it happens. Like anything valuable gets taken to certain places. But anything like not very valuable, like that was like claimed to be recyclable, but isn't like the green bottles you were talking about. Yeah. I imagine that just ends up in the garbage. Like oh. if you can't make a profit out of it, it's just going to end up in the regular garbage. I know that was kind of the sad thing about all this was that it has nothing, nothing to do about caring about actually uh, recycling or reducing or anything. It's just can yeah. we make money off of it? It's fucking capitalism. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what it boils down to. They're just like, line. well, we could recycle, but since China's not buying it, we're not making any money off of it. So what's the point? Yeah. Okay, well, that's okay. like whenever a state gets rid of their like, five cents for aluminum cans, whenever a, a state gets <clears throat> rid of that, all of a sudden it just goes into the garbage. Like people don't give a fuck anymore. No. If you can't get your five cents per can, they don't care. Like I haven't put anything in a recycling bin outside of where I work at. Cause they actually have a program, but outside of where I work, I haven't thrown like a bottle or anything into a recycling bin in quite a while. <sighs> Phil, Phil, Phil. No, but um, yeah. So I'm almost positive. Minnesota had gotten rid of that five cents program. Uh, quite a long time ago i think iowa might still do it now my understanding is they don't give you a bottle deposit for turning in the can or whatever but they will buy the uh the aluminum from you which is kind of weird um so you could get like a bag of cans and they'll give you its weight in the price of aluminum or something like that so I, okay. i'm not really sure but I, I don't really know. Uh, I don't I don't use cans that often, if I'm being honest. Uh, if I have beer or whatever, I always throw it in our recycling bin. But uh, yeah, I normally I normally drink beer out of uh, bottles now. So yeah, I don't really drink them out of cans. It, I think it tastes better. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, but I'm saying like we put glass and everything in that thing. Basically, as long yeah. as it isn't hasn't been touched by uh, food, I think is the rule. You can recycle it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing was, I was just curious. You hear all these rumors about what's happening 
to our plastics. And I'm just like, I'm genuinely curious. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are curious, but don't really want to, you know, don't care enough to like search for it, I guess, and read through. That's the other thing I should mention too, uh, before we get out of here is I couldn't look up this information without finding websites with a political agenda. It was so obnoxious. I'm just like, I don't care about what your political beliefs are. I just want to know what's happening to the goddamn plat or recycling. I don't care about your political opinion. It was insane. I wasn't even expecting that, but it's like you, it's, you have to like uh, actively avoid that. It's really sad kind of. Yeah. Well, kind of while we were talking, I was thinking of what a conspiracy might, you know how we were talking about how the big program came around for people to start like sorting their own recycling. Yeah. People didn't really realize how profitable recycling was. So really us sorting our own recycling made recycling more profitable for them. So that could be kind of a conspiracy, maybe like that's a good telling point. us that we were saving the environment, even though they didn't give a fuck about the <laughs> environment. They were just thinking about profit. Yeah. It, that's a good point because then they have to hire less workers to sort it for them. Yeah, and they do not pay those workers very much money. Oh, all. absolutely not. When all it's, that you mentioned that, I was just thinking, so if they convince – I bet it's a balance where they can get more people to pay for recycling and give them their recyclable goods if they know they don't have to sort it themselves. So it's probably like a – a profit or a profit balancing act right there. We're like, okay, we can hire people to sort it, which will make us more money if people don't have to sort it themselves. Does that make yeah. sense? If people like, what are you talking about? Okay. If you're saying they want to hire more people, so no, people don't have to sort it. No, I'm saying if if people are required to sort their own recycling for them to then take it from them, and they'd yeah. make money, right? They can get more people who are willing to recycle their stuff if they don't have to sort it. So they'll make more money with more people recycling than they uh, basically they'll make more money if more people recycle and more people recycle if they don't have to sort it themselves. So hiring a few people at low wages to uh, sort it for them doesn't really matter. I guess. Oh, I gotcha. Good yeah. point. Okay. So I, I'm assuming it's kind of like a they see they see which which angle makes them more profit. You know, that's a good point. At my work, there's actually like five different bins for like, oh, organic waste goes here, plastic bottles go here, styrofoam goes here, and eventually you're just like, fuck it and throw it all in one. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, maybe they just yeah, maybe that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I like that actually. Okay. Yeah, it's, I don't see opposite, but yeah. It's uh, it's kind of confusing, but it, I could see them micromanaging the profits down to which one makes us more money, basically. So I don't know. Yeah, but kind of it, like they field tested, yeah, sort programs, and then they're like, oh, this isn't working good, so they just hired the people anyway. <laughs> well, for $3 I mean, dollars an hour. I'm only getting that because where I was reading in the very beginning of the episode. Where, you, like I said, you had to sort your own first, and then all of a sudden you can just throw it in a bin and they'll do it. Um, and then that led to a shitload more people willing to recycle. So, um, yeah, kind of makes sense. They realized if they made people work for free, <laughs> they wouldn't give a fuck. No. But, uh, but anyway, Phil, if anybody wants to send us hate mail about recycling, where can they do that? 
they can send it straight to <laughs> subliminaldpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, we actually got a message from uh, one of the people who messaged us a few months ago about the 23andMe episode uh, idea. And uh, it was actually a great message. I want to say thanks. Uh, oh, and yeah. if you guys have any more uh, ideas out there, just kind of throw them our way. We also have Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Uh, that's actually the best way to get a hold of us. I check that about two or three times a day. I have my own personal one, uh, SD Pod Phil. I never post to it and never check it. Cody, you got a couple? Yeah, you can add my personal Instagram at Cody Zabub, where you can add uh, my other podcast, Bumblebub Podcast, if you're into true crime and all of that jazz. Um, otherwise, the last thing we need you to do is to log on to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review. Uh, just write whatever you want. doesn't really matter. Write your favorite type of recycling in there. Hit five stars, hit submit, and... Uh, it will greatly help out the show. Helps us get exposure. We need more people to get into the. Uh, what would you say our tackling of conspiracies is, Phil? We're more extremely subjective, right? Yeah, we're awfully skeptical yes. from the uh, the responses that I get. People don't like uh, sometimes when we bash on their conspiracy. Yeah, but. you know what? It's it is what it is. It's just. It's just the type of people you and I are, and that's how we view conspiracies. You know, it's uh, it's uh, just an opinion anyway. So, but anyway, uh, <laughs> hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, it was a little different, but I think maybe you'll learn something. Uh, otherwise, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.